We want to see Jesus. We don't know very much about the folks who speak those words in our reading from the Gospel of John this morning. They are a few faces in a very large crowd, pilgrims from all over the region who've come to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. The Gospel says they're Greeks, but that actually doesn't tell us a whole lot. Are they Jewish? Maybe. There were Greek-speaking Jews throughout the region in the first century who might have made the trip at this time of year. They could also be Gentiles who were interested in the teachings and traditions of Judaism. People like that might also find their way to Jerusalem for this great festival. Commentators are quick to point out that these Greek pilgrims show up at a particularly opportune moment in the gospel. Jesus has just ridden into town on a donkey amid cries of Hosanna and a welcome fit for a king. I know Palm Sunday is next week, actually, but we're already past that in John's gospel. And while the crowd here is going nuts, shouting and cheering and waving branches, the religious leaders are off on the sidelines, wringing their hands in exasperation. They can see the hold that Jesus has on the people, the devotion and the excitement and the hope that he clearly brings, and the threat that he therefore poses to their hold on power. Watching the three-ring circus in the street with Jesus at the center, the Pharisees say to one another, you see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The world has gone after him, they say. And right on cue, our Greek pilgrims enter from stage left in the very next verse. They represent the world, the commentators remind us, the ever-widening reach of Jesus' influence, from a few humble followers to larger and larger crowds to people from distant, faraway lands. It seems there's no limit to how far this movement might go. So the religious leaders are right to be concerned for their position and their privilege. Jesus now poses a very real threat to both. So the Greek visitors represent the world here. That's fine. But before we zoom off into the stratosphere and make everything an abstract theological symbol, which is something you can very easily do when you're reading the Gospel of John, I want to wonder about those pilgrims for a little bit this morning not as representative of anything or anyone else, just as a few people with a heartfelt request. We want to see Jesus, they say. They've heard about him already, no doubt. His fame has been spreading far and wide, and they've probably heard the stories. How he once marched into the temple like he owned the place and turned over the tables of the money changers how he fed 5,000 people with a boy's simple lunch, how he even raised a man from the dead. Maybe they were there at the procession a day or two ago when he rode triumphantly into the city. Maybe they saw him from a distance then. But they want to get closer than that now. They want to see him for themselves. They don't say to Philip, we want more information about Jesus. They don't say, we want an airtight theological argument, or 
we want to debate with you about his divine and human natures. No. What they say is much more direct than all that, much more immediate. It's a desire for an encounter. We want to see Jesus. Lots of you know that I was sick earlier this month, and as part of that ordeal, I ended up needing to see the doctor. And I saw two, in fact, a week apart. One looked me in the eye during my visit and seemed to listen very carefully to what I was experiencing, seemed unhurried and able to give me his time and attention. The other one sort of looked over my shoulder in a distracted way somewhere while I was speaking. And during the two or three minutes that I had to talk and tell him what was going on with me, he visibly checked his watch at least twice. I'm not telling you about these doctors to rate their respective bedside manners exactly, though I do know a doctor not to recommend now. I'm telling you about it because I realized after the second visit that, well, of course I wanted to see the doctor, to get his advice, to get a prescription for medicine that would make me well, I also wanted the doctor to see me. I wanted him to listen well and to give me his attention and to make me feel that he was trying to understand my particular situation. How could I trust what he had to offer, after all, if I didn't feel that he'd seen me first? I wonder if something a little like that is behind the Greek pilgrim's request. We want to see Jesus. We want to look into the eyes of this person we heard has given sight to the blind. And we want to feel what it's like to have those eyes looking back at us. We want to touch the hands of this person we heard turned a few loaves of bread into a feast for thousands. And we want to feel what it's like to have those hands touching ours. We want to listen to the words of this person we heard has made the lame walk and the dead live just by speaking. And we want to see what it feels like to have him listen to us. Maybe that's what's behind their request, a wish for a direct encounter, seeing and being seen. Or maybe they want living proof that everything they've heard is true. Maybe they want to see if he really is the miracle worker, the healer, the mender of broken lives and spirits that the rumors all say he is. And we could understand that too, right? I mean, who wouldn't like some proof that the stories we tell about Jesus are true? Who wouldn't like, just once, to see him walk across a lake or lift a fevered person from her sickbed? or send a demon packing. Who wouldn't really like to know once and for all, without a doubt? We want to see Jesus, say the pilgrims. They make their request to Philip, and Philip talks to Andrew, and together they go and see Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I sort of expect Jesus to say, well, they want to see me? Great. I've got a few minutes, send them in. But you probably heard that's not how Jesus responds here. Instead, he starts speaking about death and life, about the judgment of the world, about his hour that has now come. He never actually gets around to answering their question at all, in fact. 
I sort of picture Philip and Andrew pausing after this long and complex speech and giving each other a quick look and then saying to Jesus, so does that mean we should tell those Greeks you said no? It's a hard passage. And I said I wanted to listen to those pilgrims just for who they are, not as representing anybody else. But in the end, you know who I think they really sound an awful lot like? You and me. They sound like all of us who come to the party a bit later than those first disciples. All of us who didn't get to wander around Galilee with Jesus for a couple of years and share long meals around a table and witness all the incredible things that he did. Those Greeks sound a whole lot like us who might love to see Jesus the way the disciples did or to have some indisputable proof, some little kernel of certainty that we could hold on to. We want to see Jesus, we say with those pilgrims. And Jesus doesn't exactly say, well, of course, bring them on in, because it's not quite that simple for you and me. But notice that he doesn't say no way to, our, to that request either. He doesn't say, tough luck, they'll never see me, they're too late. No. If we listen carefully, he actually does say something about where we might see him. We'll see him in the new life that comes when we lose our small, self-centered ways of seeing and living in following him, like the seed that beds down in the dark earth and only lives by dying to what it once was. We'll see him in expressions of courageous love, in loosing an anxious and fearful hold on our lives in order to serve God and our neighbors. And we'll see him on the cross, in judgment against all that oppresses and harms, in solidarity with all who suffer, in witness to the love of God that is stronger even than death. It might not be the answer we first wish for, but it's the answer Jesus gives here, that it's not for us to know him by certainty, but by faith. It's not for us to know him face to face, but rather in the daily walk of following his ways of justice and mercy, of serving others, of holding our lives less tightly because we trust him. It's a little like love, says preacher and teacher Craig Barnes, Love between partners, or between family members, or between friends. You can't actually prove your love for someone else, or demand that someone else prove it to you beyond a doubt. If you try and do that, you smother it. You mess it all up. Love isn't finally a matter of certainty. It always involves trust. It is always a daily walk of faith. And that's how Jesus means for us to know him. Not in the cold light of absolute certainty, but in the warm glow of trust, of faith, of love. We want to see Jesus, we say. And Jesus responds, I know. Keep following. Keep serving. Keep loving. And when you can see and when you can't, Trust that, in fact, you are seen 
and you are held more fully and more tenaciously than you ever could imagine. Where I am, there my servant will be also, Jesus says. It's a promise to be trusted all the way to the cross and beyond. Thanks be to God. Amen.